and welcome to the David and Ronald Show. Hi, Ronald. How are you doing? I am doing great. How are you? I am very, very good. So today we want to touch on the Apple special event that happened earlier this week on Tuesday. There were, of course, the announcements of new iPhones, a new iPad, Apple Arcade. What else were they talking about? The Apple Watch. Apple Watch, Apple TV+. Plus. So what are your favorite things announced as of the special event, and what are your, you know, less so favorite, if you have any? Yep, I mean, I guess I thought I'd be a little more wowed by the event, but, you know, a couple things, I think mainly the Apple Watch, um, me being on a Series 3 watch, I didn't want to jump to the Series 4, hoping something would be great on the Series 5, um, so I think that was a great one to see. The other one, obviously, I think everyone's favorite, probably the iPhone, so the iPhone 11 Pro, not that initial iPhone that they were promoting. I was like, oh, what is this? Yeah. And I'm like, uh, I don't know about that. And then they go, oh, well, here's the Pro. We're rebranding it following, I guess, you know, the way that they branded the iPad, iPad Pro. Um, so this is going to be very interesting. But, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's focusing on the camera. So right. if you're big on taking pictures, doing videos, I think it's great. Outside of that, is there much to be impressed with? I personally don't think so. Yeah, and just kind of elaborating a little bit more on what we're talking about here in terms of the uh, the iPhone. What it was was a little confusing because when they started talking about the iPhone 11, you're not thinking that the iPhone 11 is replacement for the iPhone 10R, which is what it is. It pretty much succeeds the iPhone 10R. And so when you initially hear it, and when I heard it, and they said 6.1-inch liquid retina display, I was like, what? Why are we kind of downgrading the display? And it's only after they finished the iPhone 11 and they got, okay, and now there's more. And, and we talk about the iPhone 11 Pro and the two series. Now we realize, oh, wait, the iPhone 11 is the successor to the iPhone 10R, And then the iPhone 11 Pro and Pro Max are the successors to the 10s and the uh, 10s Max. Yep, I mean, I think there are a lot of hints, right? When they started saying, oh, we're going to have multiple colors. Wait, that's, that's never happened before on their Premier line. Um, and then, oh, we're going to lower the pricing. I was like, wow, that's great. And then they say, oh, wait, but we have more, right? And right. then, oh, now it gets this one. And I was like, oh, okay, there's your $1,000 <laughs> iPhone that yeah. we are all expecting. Um, so it's very interesting. They, they did have some good points there, but I still don't know if I'm sold on getting an iPhone 11 Pro or... Is it something where we want to wait for the 12? I mean, there isn't any 5G on here. Right. right. So one year from now, are we looking at another one? I mean, if you're part of this upgrade plan, great. But if you're not, you might be stuck with that device for a couple of years. Right, exactly. And you definitely want to get, you know, so there are some people who like getting the latest and the greatest and having that all the time. And then there's everyone else who, you know what, I can deal with what I have now. As long as it does what it needs to do, then unless there's something really extraordinary that comes out of it, I'm not going to, you know, throw money at it right now. I'm going to wait to get something that is more, you know, all-inclusive for the price that I'm going to pay. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I know you're a bit of a photo and a video buff, so right. maybe this would be something that you'd want to get. For me, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to do it, but I think for me it's probably going to be, let's, let's see what iOS 13 does for my phone is I have the iPhone 10 right now for a couple of years. But if iOS 13, you know, giving me that dark mode um, makes me happy, I don't think I'm going to go with that 11 Pro. Yeah, and I will give Apple credit. Usually with the new releases of iOS and even like Mac OS, it kind of really refreshes your device most of the time. If you have something that's fairly recent within the last few years, then you should be able to kind of, it almost feels like a brand new device. If you have an older device, then it'll just feel like it's old and slow. At that point in time, it's, it's harder to use the device with a new operating system. Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things I usually do is just wipe it clean. I mean, in-place upgrade versus just doing it fresh. I just want to see what it would look like if you just get a brand new phone. And I always feel like just wiping it clean, brand new iOS, see how it works out um, before you jump the gun and spend another thousand dollars well, yeah, thousand, thousand plus, plus right now. yeah exactly yeah, i think you were doing the cost the other day right. we were talking over text um and you said oh here it is and, oh no wait let's add all this extra stuff that i forgot um and it ended up being quite costly yeah it's it's not inexpensive and 
nowadays, unless you're doing a trade-in or you're doing something like a, an upgrade plan where you're paying in monthly installments, if you just like to kind of buy it out and just own it, then you want to be able to maximize the time that you have with it, a minimum of two years, because most of the time your Apple Care is going to be for 24 months. So you want to at least use it for two years to max out the value of the device and beyond if you can, so that you're not kind of throwing money away. Yeah, I mean, I'll actually be really interested in hearing the statistics of what's actually selling. Is the 11 selling a lot, or is it the 11 Pro? Um, given the rebranding that they've done, will a lot of people be sold into this? Let me get this 11, because it is cheaper, but it, it, it does feel like a solid phone, based on all the information they've provided. Do people jump jump and just go with the 11 and skip out on the 11 Pro or Pro Max? Yeah, and, and with the 11, you are getting some significant upgrades with it because here you are going to get the A13 Bionic chip, but you're also getting the dual cameras, which you didn't get in the uh, 10R. You're only getting a single camera. Now you're getting uh, the dual camera. Both are 12 megapixels, the 12 megapixel wide camera and a 12 megapixel ultra wide camera, I think. Or is it the ultra ride, or is it just the telephoto? I have it down here. I have a note here to myself during the special event when I was watching it. I have a note that it's a 12 megapixel wide camera and 12 megapixel ultra wide. If you can just kind of check that to see what the what the info is, I just kind of want to be sure that I'm correct on this. I know with the pro model, you have the wide, the ultra wide, and the telephoto cameras, but I think with the with the um, 11, I believe you have a wide and ultra wide. Yeah, it is. It's That's a dual 12 megapixel ultra wide and wide camera. So you are getting both. So you get the two cameras. And what really, for me, the selling point of the Pro would be is just the triple camera system, which will offer you that wide, ultra wide, and the telephoto. But other than that, I mean, I, I really I didn't see a lot in there in terms of the Pro. Obviously, you have the new chip. You have the new display, and some of like the general enhancements, but nothing that at the end of the day would say, whoa, you know, this is really something you have to get. But I do like doing video. I do like uh, photography. So there would be a benefit if I were to upgrade, but I think only if really necessary. But, I mean, I guess talking about the camera, what are thoughts about the physical appearance? I mean, I don't, I personally don't like this square model that they have yeah. where, all right, let's make everything a little bigger. Let's carve out a little square, dip it in, put in the cameras, let it pop out a little bit, but everything will still be flat. But I don't know, visually, it's not very appealing to me. So I'm curious on one, what do you think about that? Do you really care about that? Do you think others will? And could that potentially impact I guess, iPhone 12 Pro, whatever it ends up being, will they make that a smaller design again? I would hope that they would improve the camera design uh, the way it's laid out right now. I'm not, when I saw the rumors of what it was going to look like, I wasn't really liking, it, it wasn't aesthetically appealing. Let me put it that way. And it's still not aesthetically appealing. It's kind of odd, like, that Apple would kind of go this direction and they wouldn't have found another way of, of doing the triple N system. But I guess there's reasons just in terms of the design and what they have, the components inside the body of the camera, why they have to do it this way. So they can definitely improve on it. They can definitely find a way to make it bigger. It just really stands out. When you look at, at the phone, yeah. the thing that stands out is not just that it's a triple lens camera. It's, it's just a big camera area that takes up a, a very large piece of the phone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but... I guess I was really surprised in general that they would do that just because they've always seemed very sensitive over how they would do the physical design. They right. didn't fall under, how does the Android do it? How did the BlackBerry do it? You know, when they still existed. Right, exactly. Right? But they just always seemed to be very careful about it, not to go away from a certain look overall. Right. right. But I just felt like they've changed that. And maybe it's good direction, right? And obviously, there's, there's a different team, but... Overall, just very shocked. And I just wonder if someone's holding that phone on the train now. Is that just going to bring more eyes over to you? Is that something you really want people to be like, ooh, hey, look, he has that, that new device. And yeah, you know how it is these days. You, you sort of become a target uh, for other people. Like, hey, yeah, yeah. look at my phone, look at his phone. Hey, yeah. 
you got the new one. It's going to stand out. Yeah, I, I think over time as, as the Pro actually becomes available in stores and more people have it, and it looks like it's selling, you know, from a pre-order standpoint, it looks like it's selling pretty well because the delivery estimates are now moved from September 20th further out into, I think, late September, early October, that it's, it's doing well. But we also don't know the quantity that Apple had available in terms of the phones. Maybe they reduced the amount of stock. Maybe they kept the stock available at the same limits. Maybe they increased it. Hard to tell unless they actually provide those figures. But right now, it looks like from, a, from what people want, enough people are going out there and they are uh, pre-ordering. That's not to say that some of those aren't, or a lot of those aren't people with the iPhone upgrade program, which would allow them to, to get the, the next generation when it comes out. Yep, definitely. I mean, so I think we've talked a lot about the iPhone. Um, I'd like to sort of deviate onto the Apple Watch here. Okay. So what are your thoughts on the Series 5 watch? I mean, w- what stands out to me, and it, it was a little odd that it wasn't always a feature available, was the always-on display. Because the point of a watch is to be able to kind of look at the watch without having to you know, move your wrist and, and f- with a flick your wrist so that the screen would come on. So if you want to look at the clock, it's like you'd always have to do that. And it was kind of funny during the, the special event where they're saying that, yeah, if you're in a meeting or something, you just want to look at the time, you don't have to actually flick your wrist so that everyone sees that, that the watch face is coming on. So now I think the always-on feature is something that's very positive about the, the new Series 5. Yep, definitely. But I, I mean, I think it's one of those marketing schemes, right? You don't want to give everyone that everything at one time. You give them something, you, right. you get them onto it, <laughs> see how it looks like. But maybe at that time, the way software was developed, they couldn't get it to actually do that, right? I mean, right. essentially, when you have your arm turned, it's always on, but it dims, right? And when you, come, when you bring your arm back up, it'll come back to full light. Right. Maybe they didn't have that ability or have that working fully. Why would, would you really want, let's just say, you get a notif- notification. Maybe it was like an all-in-one deal where if you got a notification, everyone's going to see it plopping up right on your watch. Right. If you're sitting there and someone's right behind you, do you really want that notification to pop up? Right. And, you know, I, I am curious, you know, with the always-on, because you will be able to see the watch face and the complications are you able, and, you know, with your Apple Watch, are you able to kind of suppress those notifications? I guess you have to enable those notifications for them to come up. Otherwise, they don't come up automatically on your phone. And then what's the, you know, does that kind of defeat the purpose of having kind of the watch for that for that purpose of, of having notifications come up? Yeah, I mean, you can, you can essentially set the Apple Watch to either use the same notification as your phone gets or something in the individual. Uh, most of the time, I think people just copy whatever they get on their phone. It just comes onto the watch. It doesn't show up on the phone unless you obviously unlock it. Uh, but to instantly hide it, you just put your hand over it, and right. the screen goes off, and that's it. And a lot of times, I'll do that. I'll I'll do that quick flick in a meeting and just say, oh, hey, okay, this is that, that's the time, and then put my hand over it really quickly <laughs> as if, oh, I'm just stretching out right. uh, my hand out there. And I think a lot of people do that. And it, it, it was interesting that they mentioned that. Um, during that, so it's because people just want to look at their time. Yeah. That's what everyone wants to do, but it's not just you. You see everybody doing right, it. Right, exactly. So. You know, I mean, sometimes you're just there and you just want to know what time it is and you, you don't want it to be obvious. And the fact that with a watch where your display isn't always on, you have to actually take a motion in order for it to come on. And then once you do that, then everyone's going to, oh, well, look, bright light. It's like when, when your phone is normally off, not off, but you know, kind of in that sleep or rest mode, and then you kind of wake it and then the light comes on. Imagine, it, like, for some reason, you're inside, a, you know, a dark room and, and you do that, and now everyone knows exactly what's going on, that you're looking at your phone. I do wonder, though, at night, since it's always on, I guess, is there, they might have a setting, I guess, that when it's, you're going to sleep, they could force it to go off permanently. Maybe I'm missing part of that while I was watching it, but I, I do wonder that, is that an always on, always on thing, or are they going to set some sort of do not disturb piece to it? That, that's what I'm interested in. If I recall actually. in the special event, it, it's kind of a dimmer screen at night, so it's going to be dim so that even at night you can see the time, but it's going to not going to be like a big shining light that's going to be keeping you up at night. Right, but, you, you know, I think there are a lot of people like just like darkness, right? right. Just all off and that's it. Right. Uh, but if you have it turned toward your face, I, I guess you can argue, well, if you have a, a clock in your room 
or an alarm clock or anything like that, you'll always be able to see that too. Right. So that'll be just interesting to see. Is there, is there some way just to just turn it off completely if you don't want that feature? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be one of those things where you have to have one and then try it out at night to see like how dim it is to see if it's still going to shine the room or if it's going to keep the room fairly dark. Yep, and then I think the last piece I have on that one is really battery life, right? They're pretty much saying, yeah, it's going to be the same thing. Right, but screen's going to be on, though. Uh, is, it, is that really true? That would be very interesting to see. Is that battery just as good, even though the screen's on? Sure, it's on a dimmer setting, but either way, you're, you're, still, trying to, you're still powering up a screen at the end right, of the day. Right, So, so it, that would be interesting. Right, it's going to be kind of looking at the power efficiency and, and how well that works. So, you know, the other couple of things that they had talked about, which, for, you know, for me aren't really something that I'll be doing necessarily, but I think what a lot of people were looking at was from a pricing standpoint, what they were going to do. And that's Apple Arcade and Apple TV Plus, where I think they did come out with a good pricing strategy when they, and and earlier in the year, I think a lot of folks were saying that, oh, their pricing strategy would be something at least $9.99 per month. And they come back with $4.99 a month. But also it's, a family subscription. So anyone in your family can use it and it's just four ninety nine a month. And I think that's going to be something that makes them a little bit more competitive. Although right now they're just kind of starting off. So they're not really going to be in direct competition with anyone. And I think one other thing we mentioned is if you're buying what was an Apple TV, iPhone, you get a one year free subscription. Yeah. If you, I think if you purchase any uh, new Apple device, yep. you would get one year free of the Apple TV plus. Right. So I think that's really smart, right? One, you get people on there for a year. You're gonna get addicted. You're gonna wanna buy that subscription, right? Right. Four ninety nine. You get people addicted. They're like, oh, hey, that's a great price. But similar to others, they'll probably end up raising that at some point. Right. I mean, maybe not one year out, but maybe two years out. They're probably gonna raise that from four ninety nine, maybe to six ninety nine, even to nine ninety nine. Right. Or create a pro plan. Right. Right. And and I think it also depends on how well the Apple TV Plus these shows, these original shows that they come out with, how well that's going to work out. I mean, the the Apple Arcade games, I can see people subscribing to that, and that's going to be interesting to, to see how that plays out because I think with the uh, Apple Arcade games, they have or they'll partner with a lot of uh, game makers who will make their games specifically for the that subscription service and not anywhere else. So if it's something like that where it's only going to be available through the Apple game, uh, Apple Arcade games, that they'll be able to make that a selling point. Yeah, I mean, for TV, they have the star power, right? I mean, they've essentially just brought in a lot of the named actors, actresses, just to get that in there. But I guess the question is long-term, are they still going to have that, or that's just their way to bring people in? Then after that, they might have these other shows that don't have all these uh, top-named actors. Right, and I think that was one of the things that bothered me a little bit when they started talking about the Apple TV Plus offering was that they had an opportunity to really take a lot of less familiar... New talent. Yeah, right. talent to be able to help them because cause it's a tough market out there to be able to get into Hollywood and to, to get onto TV shows and also to have a voice out there to... Uh, present a script and have that story told. And I was thinking that Apple could take that opportunity with the resources they have to make that possible. And instead you have a lot of the big name, you know, star power again, as you said, out there that will be involved in it. And I understand from a business standpoint how that's good because people know who Jennifer Aniston is. They know who Reese Witherspoon is they know who Steve Carell is. They know who Jason Momoa is. And that's going to help to drive that traffic there. But then there are also a lot of writers and a lot of directors and a lot of producers and a lot of new emerging actors and actresses who have an opportunity to have a platform to tell their stories. And this would have been a nice opportunity for Apple to be able to say, yes, we're also going to be partnering at the very least to say we're partnering with new talent and emerging artists to help tell their stories as well. But maybe on the flip side, right, if we look at it another way, maybe by bringing this this name talent, you're getting people to buy into it. Then using that, they can help promote new talent from there because yeah, they and brought I, people in. Okay, you've, you've pulled them. I mean, Netflix is similar, right? 
um, you know, the, they're not all named actors, but suddenly this show becomes so popular, you get more and more people. But maybe it's something like that. Maybe that was their thought in it. I mean, who knows what it is, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it is to make money. Right. But maybe that will, and I hope that long-term it is a platform, like you say, um, to get other, whether you say it's writers, producers, actors, actresses, to become that big-name person. Exactly. So hopefully that will be the case. Okay, so let's change uh, gears. We have one more thing that, that I think was announced at the special event, and that was a brand-new Apple iPad, a 7th-gen iPad with a new 10.2-inch retina display using the A10 Fusion chip. And that's kind of an upgrade over the 6th-gen 9.7-inch, and I think it's good as well for anyone who's kind of looking for something that is on the more affordable side because it starts at 329 for educational users, it would start at 299 And, you know, definitely I think now when we use these mobile tablets, one of the things that we want is we want that screen real estate. And this is something that it offers because a 9.7-inch screen just kind of seems a little bit small now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do love that they brought this up to 10.2, and the pricing point is very reasonable. To do your basics, right? I mean, there's a reason there's the iPad, iPad Pro. Uh, for me, I think this is a great pricing point with this larger screen. I actually have a really, really old iPad in the kitchen, and I right. use that. You know, I might watch some TV on there while I'm cooking, mm-hmm. look at some recipes, keep right. it on the screen, trying to figure out what I want to cook and how I should cook it properly. Right. I think with this, this might be actually that good replacement. It's an iPad second gen, right? I mean, obviously very old. You can't update it to anything anymore, but it's just going really, really slow. So this is a great opportunity to jump to something. Um, that will work perfect, I think, in the kitchen and just your basic browsing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I have a first-gen 12.9-inch iPad Pro, and I definitely wanted the screen real estate. And when I got that, I had upgraded from a second-gen iPad, which had a 9.7-inch screen. And I loved the, the real estate. But when you're, like, watching TVs and movies or YouTube and things like that, it's, it's big. It's nice and big, but not if you want to hold it in your hand or hold it in your lap. And so getting something smaller, going back to something like a, a 10.2-inch screen, is it offers you the right amount of screen real estate, but also it's, you know, it's lightweight. It's between that and getting something like the iPad uh, Air or getting a Mini. But the Mini is a very tiny screen real estate. And, and it's, you know, I can see it as you know, if you're traveling and you want something really portable, it's good. But if you need something that is kind of right in that middle ground. You want to get something with that kind of 10.2-inch screen. Yep, and I guess even better, if you do have a the Pencil, it is compatible with that, which is great. The first-gen, the first-gen yeah. Apple Pencil. So yeah. if yeah. you want the second-gen, you have to go with the Pro models. Right. But if you want the first-gen, it now, I think it pushes almost their entire line. I don't remember if the iPad, the new Mini handles the Pencil, does it? Uh, yeah, it actually, yeah, the, the Mini supports the Pencil. So right now, if you get like an iPad Mini or the new 10.2-inch, or I think, does the iPad Air? Yeah, the I- iPad Air supports the pencil as well. Yep. Then it's good, and then if you go to the Pro, then you have to go to the to the second-gen pencil. Right. So, um, yeah, so that was pretty much the lineup. I think that they have some, some nice upgrades, and it's something to look at, but at the end of the day, it, it is, you know, pricey. If you were to, to upgrade everything, it's, it's not going to be cheap, and you have to kind of make a decision as to whether or not it's something that you want to do. Now, switching gears, but staying on the topic of Apple, you recently made a very interesting change, though it's not something that others haven't done yet, but it's definitely something that I don't think I would have expected that you would have done. Yep. Um, so what David's actually saying is that um, I went from essentially a Windows PC um, over to a Mac, and... That is surprising. You know, I didn't ever think that I'd make a Mac my primary device. For many years, I've had a Windows device and a MacBook Air. You know, it sat there, um, didn't do too much with it, but I wanted to at least learn how to use the Mac from, obviously, personal and work perspective. And I just sort of like, let's just make the jump. I saw a lot of issues from just Windows hardware, battery, stability. I was just having all these types of weird issues, and I said, hey, what if I switch over to a Mac? What would that be like? <laughs> and 
I didn't know. And I, I was talking to you, David, about this. Like, right. What do you think about it? And we were talking about it. You weren't trying to convince me either way. Right. You just said, well, here's my experience. Uh, you've been using a Mac. Well, you've used both, right? Right, I use both. Um, and I, I'm not sure if it's really 50-50 or so. I don't really think so. I think you still no, focus more uh, on the Windows. Yeah, primar- my primary is still, you know, a Windows machine. But I, you know, I actually... I think starting in school, like elementary school, I think they would have Apple computers. And after elementary school, I hadn't touched an Apple computer until I started working. And I've, I've worked in advertising for almost 20 years. So dealing in, on the advertising side, majority of the computers we have are always Mac for you know creatives and, and graphic design and production and all that. And the only folks who normally need a PC might be our, you know, the media groups or... Uh, IT accounting, things like that, anything uh, uh, back office side, majority of the time. So I would stick to Windows PCs or Windows laptops, but I also had to learn the Mac. And so that's what I ended up doing was eventually learning the Mac. And then there are a lot of things that I do like that are easier to do on the Mac. Obviously, portability, battery life, the quality. like you, the, the screens, for example, are unmatched. I can't find a single Windows machine where I can look at the screen and get something as good as the Retina displays that I have on the Mac right now. And, you know, the touchpads are much more fluid than anything on the Windows side. But, you know, there's a lot of things that I do that still require the PCN, and I just feel more comfortable doing it on a native Windows machine rather than trying to virtualize. And in your case, what you're doing is you switch it over to the Mac, but you virtualize. Right. Yeah, I virtualize Windows. Windows and... I do truly feel it's the best of both worlds, um, essentially. Obviously, we can't have everything that runs on Windows running on Mac, right. right? There are certain applications that just don't exist for Mac, and there are certain applications that just aren't made for Mac. There's a right. version of it. I'll give you one, which is Quicken. Mm-hmm. I was trying to use Quicken on the Mac, and it frustrated me yeah. because <laughs> all those same functions that I was trying to do on the Windows was just not there. It wasn't as simple. wasn't as fluid, but luckily... Buying Quicken, I was able, I have the Windows or Mac version, so I essentially got rid of it from the Mac, put it onto Windows VM, and it worked great there. Uh, but there are other things. There, there are other applications, such as either it's photos or video development, you can just do on the Mac, and then just have the Windows there to do everything else. I'll give you another one. I would say Microsoft Office. Mm-hmm. Not the greatest on a Mac. No, it's not. And very specifically, it would be Outlook. Outlook is a very thin yeah. client on the Mac mm-hmm. versus on Windows where it's just a full-feature client. I love it on the Windows. That's great. And that's why I say it's best of the world worlds because I can jump between the two, jump between the Mac, jump between Windows. But I ultimately have a stable device. Right. The screen, like you said, it's beautiful. It's unmatched. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the battery life is great. I like to say that Compared to probably my MacBook Air, I feel like the batteries doesn't last as long. But to the credit of it, I am running the Windows VM, and there is this Touch ID bar, right? Which once again, that's great. Um, I do use it a lot, and now integrating it with uh, essentially the Apple Card, right? Able to buy things just using my fingerprint and. Overall, I'm loving it. I'm not having any issues. I have no regrets moving from that Windows PC over to the Mac. I'd probably say the one other issue I had was overusing a mouse. Yeah. Where we, I explained this one to you, which is you, you said, hey, you're really weird. <laughs> where I like the natural flow on the Mac on the how touchpad. the touchpad was working. But on a mouse, I could not use the scroll for my life. I wanted reverse. I was like, how do I get the touchpad to do natural and the mouse to do the other way? Right. And you said, there's no way of doing that. Why would you do that? Yeah. You're, you're weird. Yeah. And, and that's the case, you know, and just to clarify, yes, most of us will do with your mouse, you're going to just go one direction. You either do the natural or you kind of do the, the opposite of, of natural, which is what used to be standard. And so I just kind of use the standard. I don't like the natural. I don't, when I, when I scroll up, I want to scroll up. When I go down, I want to go down. I don't want to ultimately be, you know, scrolling down and I'm going up. So I don't like the natural. And so I do this across the board. So if I have a mouse, you know, scroll mouse, when I scroll up, it goes up. When it scrolls down, it goes down. But in the case of Ronald, you know, he wants to be able to, okay, on the touchpad, I can go natural. 
So when I scroll up, it goes down. But when I scroll on a mouse, I want up to go up. And it's like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I just can't master it going back and <laughs> forth. So I've kind of stopped using the mouse, and I just stick with the touchpad now. And I, I, I think, again, this is, this is different between me on a Windows PC right. and the Mac, where even on a laptop, I really needed that external mouse to do everything. I couldn't do it. On, on, the, on the pad, on, on a Windows device. Yeah, yeah. oh, yeah. That. But on the Mac, I can do it and not have to second-guess what I'm doing. Everything's just precise. Everything goes to where I need to go. Right. But then once I have that external mouse now, it all becomes skewed because, again, the whole scrolling thing. So it, it, it definitely creates certain issues for me. But, again, I just don't end up using that, that mouse. I don't need it. But call me weird, but that's just how it works for me and i'm sure there are others yeah i'm sure like yeah I, i'm sure there are other people and just kind of going back on to something like 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 the touchpad on the mac that again is kind of unmatched with any laptop you know windows-based laptop that i've used before because their touchpad is very fluid it's very easy to use so i edit videos like in final cut and so when i use final cut i can do it off the touchpad of a macbook but you know, and I don't need a mouse. I, I would prefer to do it a lot of times with a mouse just because there's there's just so much in the editing process. But I would never be able to do that on a Windows laptop. I have to have a mouse because it's just so hard and it's not as responsive as an Apple touchpad is right now. Yep, absolutely. Um, I just feel like when you use the touchpad, I say I want to go to this part of the screen, I get there. On the Windows device, I want to go to that part of the screen. I don't get there without the mouse because I feel like the mouse is that pre precision tool. Maybe right. on a Windows device, on a Mac, you don't need a mouse as a precision tool. Mm -hmm. That touchpad is. Right. Now, you opted for a 13-inch MacBook Pro versus a 15-inch. And so what are your thoughts? Would you have, you know, now that you've been using it for numerous months, making that switch, would you have preferred getting more screen real estate, or are you fine with what you have? No, I'm actually fine with what I have. I mean, I feel that it's the perfect size. Um, the screen is, is great. Weight is great. But given that I don't do, I guess, video development to that level, mm -hmm. I don't need that larger screen right. to be able to see that detail. Uh, I do a lot of Excel work, and that's enough for me right. to see that. Obviously, also Outlook. So mine is a lot with browsing, Excel work, Outlook, Quicken. Not something where I need that that specific pre precision or all that real estate. Um, but I, th I think you would, though. Definitely, you would opt for that 15. Yeah, and yeah, I, I have mentioned it before because right now I edit videos on a 13.3-inch MacBook Air. And it's an older generation. It's a 2013. It's not even a, a current one. And, and it's fine. I mean, I can edit it. It's just that when you're rendering a lot of videos and and when i film i'm shooting at uh, 1080p 60 frames per second and you and now with the new cameras that i'm using you just have just very large files that you're dealing with and the rendering takes a lot of time and every single time you add a transition or you add effects or you do color grading anything like that it takes forever to do so i would prefer to have a faster machine to do it but also we you know as we spoke about earlier apple products do cost a significantly larger amount than, let's say, your your clone, your Windows clones, for example. You can you know get discounts there, but you're not going to see as much on the Apple side, especially if you want to get something that has that sort of power. So I think I estimated like a good 15-inch MacBook Pro with enough power was somewhere in that like four to five thousand dollar price tag. And you know, it, look, with big professional studios they can throw that sort of money down and they're expected to do that because they're churning out movies and films and TV shows and, and whatnot. But for an individual to be putting down that amount of money to do a lot of that stuff, it, it's, it gets pricey and it gets hard to do and you have to really spread it out when you try to budget to do these upgrades. Yeah, and I guess one other thing to keep in mind, you know, buying these new generation MacBooks is that everything's USB-C. Right. Right. And I think that was dongles, something we were talking lots about. Of dongles. <laughs> right. So you actually need to factor in the cost of whatever you need, right? Right. For anything storage. Um, 
mice if you're going to mm-hmm. use like an adapter. It right. has to be all USB-C compatible, or obviously you can buy adapters. Right. But just keep it in mind um, that it is all USB-C, so you'll need something, or right. you'll either buy, have to buy the natural cables or a converter. Right. I mean, I always feel like going with the, the native cables much better than using a converter, mm-hmm. but I don't think there's too much of a difference these days, but obviously if you want to buy one, you, you should buy one that's reputable. Make sure it is uh, transferring data if it's like a hard drive properly right. um, and that you're not losing anything from there. But that, that is a key thing to keep in mind that it's not just your regular USB, you just plug it in. Otherwise, you'll buy one and say, oh, hey, uh, I can't connect anything on here. Yeah, and, and that's, stuff. that's a big problem because for those who travel a lot, a lot of times, you know, you'll say, okay, I just need my laptop and as long as I have that and power, I'm good. But if you use like an external hard drive or any external devices or even like flash drives and you're not carrying a USB-C flash drive, and I think most of us probably have traditional USB 2, USB 3 flash drives. If you run out the door, you're getting on an airplane to fly, and then you realize, oh, I want to do some work, and wait, everything's on this USB 3 flash drive. I only have USB-C and I didn't bring an adapter. Well, now you're stuck because unless you're using cloud storage, you're not going to be able to access what you need. Exactly. So I think that's that's been my overall um, experience, and I'm sure it's going to keep going. There'll probably be new things that come up, but I, I don't think I'll have any regrets moving forward with this. Good. And so let's talk a little bit about your experience with Parallels, because this, I think, you've, did you use Parallels prior to making this transition? I did. I used it a few years ago, and this was probably with my MacBook Air, I want to say, like when I first got it within the first year or so. Uh, was using that and then kind of stopped using that. I have a physical Windows machine. Do I really need this? And also at that time, I felt parallels virtualizing Windows. The performance wasn't that great. You did see some lag yeah. when trying to perform certain functions and just using it in general. Yeah, general performance wasn't great. And that was always one of the reasons I wasn't fond of having to use something like virtualization software because you couldn't get that same performance. But I was always also using it on an older uh, MacBook. So in this case here, you're using a newer MacBook Pro with more power, more RAM that's capable of handling parallels. And do you see when using parallels and doing everything you do that it's fairly comparable to using a native PC or do you sometimes see like with certain types of applications or with, with a certain volume of workload that performance will take a hit? I've not actually seen any performance issues, and you know this is both in running it full screen mode and just shrinking it down. But I do like running it in full screen mode because you sort of get that that whole feel that you're in Windows itself, so you can do what you need to do. But I haven't seen anything where, let's just say, you see CP, CPU spiking or uh, overutilized memory, anything like that. Everything's float normally um, as much as it can, right? Let's just right. be clear. I'm not saying, hey, this is this gives you the perfect Windows because Windows in itself is not even perfect. Right. Right. You still see the same issues that you would see on a physical Windows device. Right. So you do see sometimes it does peak or when you're using certain office applications that it does that. Uh, but I'd say it's nothing out of the ordinary that you wouldn't see on a Windows device. And everything just works really nicely so far. I've Again, I don't have any complaints um, with even using Parallels here. Good. So in terms of the configuration that you've got, do you feel that you've got specifications that meet your needs or if you had the option to bump up the configuration? And I don't recall, did you, were you maxed out already? On yeah, your I configuration? maxed it all out. <laughs> so what, what is your configuration for the, the MacBook Pro that you had selected in terms of processor, in terms of RAM, in terms of storage? Yep, so this is the Core i7 with uh, 16 gigs of RAM. And I want to say this had the 512 gigs of memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously with the three ports, with the Intel Iris Plus graphics card. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I think that was ex- essentially the max that you can get off of this MacBook Pro, uh, the 13-inch, right. with the touch bar, touch ID. Right. So I just figured, hey, might as well go all out, there's, there's really no reason not to do that right. because everything is really baked onto the board, right? I mean, right. you can't really expand it afterwards. You just have to either do it or just regret it. And 
I just felt I'm going to do it. Let's just go all out. Let it last me for a good number of years before I have to replace it. Right. And I think one of the great things with Apple too, is that the, the OS, you can essentially just keep going. They're not, they don't charge you for a brand new OS or anything like right, that. It just right. keeps jumping until the point where, you know, obviously it's not supported anymore, but this is new. So this should last me for a good few years before yeah. they say, Hey, I'm not going to upgrade you anymore. Yeah. Um, even my, uh, air, was what maybe a second or third generation i must yeah, say i think it was the first model when they started switching over to solid state because i remember yes. we went to an apple store and we had to get clarification from from the the uh, sales reps there that you could not upgrade yes. the ram or the storage right. after the fact because everything was soldered, soldered right. to the board so you had to buy it then and there and that was one thing i think a lot of people did not realize at that time if you want Eight gigs of RAM and a two fifty six solid state. That's it. There was no upgrade option because that was soldered to the board. So you had to buy it at that time. That was a big change. I remember yeah. at work that that was a, a big change for everyone to get used to because there were no upgrade paths after the fact. So you had to spend more money or spend less money if you, if you can afford it. But know that if you spent less money and you didn't get the upgrade that you wanted now, you're going to have to spend all that again later just to get a faster machine. Yeah, and, you know, that got me up to High Sierra. Yeah. So that's that supported pretty long, and it was working pretty well. I mean, obviously, it got a little bit slower as time went on with with even High Sierra. But, I mean, it works, but obviously I need to replace that one because it's been a good number of years, and it doesn't perform to what I need it to perform from a device. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the other thing is that you get to a certain point where when you're using Mac OS, back then OS ten you have to make sure that your computer can handle it because the performance will start to degrade. And same with iOS, when you're using it on an older device versus a newer device. If you use it on an older device, you're not going to get that same performance as you would on a newer device. But at the end of the day, if you kind of stay with that product lifecycle and you upgrade your device up to the point in which you can no longer upgrade it, you should be able to work fairly well. My experience is that I've been able to upgrade to each version of Mac OS and iOS on devices that support it, and it's worked fairly well. I think as the device ages, you do start to see you know performance degradation and performance lags, but generally it, it's been fine for me. Yep, and you know, I really wanted the dark mode in Mojave, so yeah, that's yeah. the other driving factor of me it's getting that, a new device. Yeah, it's that, and also I like um, with the screensaver that it's dynamic so that during the day as the day progresses you kind of get that the the changing scenery from a sunny background to to the uh darkened as the, the sun starts to set yeah but you know i guess overall best practice i mean one, i think once a device can't hit that newest version you know that it's probably going end of life very soon right i mean you think about updates and everything like that how much are they going to support exactly out of that so right. That's kind of that starting hint that, all right, you might want to start looking at your device. Right. Maybe you don't have to, but you might want to start looking at your options because something could happen. You never know. It could be dying, what, in the next year or something. Like exactly. That. You don't know. Yeah. You, you, want, you don't want to wait until your computer is like completely down and out before you decide to kind of, you know, look to what's next. You want to kind of plan for that in advance. I don't like waiting until like, okay, the computer is just completely un, unusable and it's completely dead to make the switch so i try to do that a little bit before but i think it also depends on what you do you know what your job is or what you use it for on a personal basis if you need the power and performance obviously you're not going to be able to use a machine that is several years old that no longer has the ability to run the latest version of an operating system or can't perform well for example if you are a uh, an art director or a graphic designer you need something with power and so if you can't afford to upgrade, you're going to do it. If you can't afford to upgrade, then you're going to use it as long as possible. And so you have to kind of make that decision for yourselves. We are back into the back-to-school season, for example. So going back to school, you want to have, you know, if you're, if you're a first-year student in college, for example, and you're getting a new computer, you want to get a computer that's going to last you for the time that you're in school, for, you know, four years, two years, depending on the type of degree you're going for. But if that's not the case, for example, and you need something that's not so powerful, yes, you can, you can go to, to something that is less expensive. 
And I mean, I guess that's kind of the, the other thing I want to jump to is the fact that when you are looking for computers, for example, don't go for the cheapest computer that's out there because you're going to regret it almost immediately. I see that all the time. You want to get something that is kind of mid-level that suits your needs, but has the ability to be upgraded if possible. And nowadays, I think you see that more on the Windows side or if you get um, higher tier Macs. There's not a lot that's modular. Like you need like an iMac to add RAM, for example. I think you have to get a certain iMac series. I think the 27-inch ones will allow you to still upgrade RAM. I think the Pros are soldered on and the 21.5 is not quite user accessible. But I think everything on the MacBook level that is all soldered on. So you can't do that on the Windows side. You know, for the most part, it's mostly customizable. For laptops, you can customize at uh, manufacturing. When you're ordering it, for desktops, you can still upgrade after the fact. Yep, absolutely. Um, that's that's some good advice to follow. I would just say um, sort of always follow your own path, right? You, only you can tell what, what you need. But at the end of the day, yeah, don't cheap out. Just if you have to spend a little more, you should do that. And I think there are always discounts throughout the year, especially yeah. with uh, holidays probably coming up in mm-hmm. the next couple of yeah, months. Absolutely. You'll find discounts, um, and that's probably the, the best time to look at these devices and purchase them. Okay, so as we wrap up this show, what do you, you know, there were some things that Apple didn't talk about at this, this event, at the September event, which I think some people were hoping they talk about. But again, this is usually an iPhone event. And I think I'm curious your thoughts as to if there are certain things that you would like to see before the end of the year. I mean, one of the things I think that they haven't updated in a while is the Apple TV. And so the question is, you know, there's some speculation, some rumors that maybe they'll hold an October event, a late October event, or maybe possibly a November event right before the holiday season to announce some other refreshes or upgrades. So it would be nice, I guess, since Apple TV Plus launches November 1st, that would give them that october window to announce like an apple tv is there anything that you think that you would like apple to announce or refresh before we get into the holiday season yeah i mean i guess one thing that i would personally like to see i think a lot of people is the airpods right i mean when they released the airpods they said it's two it's like "Uh, it's really 1.5 right but i would really like to see that they do something with it i have a feeling they won't probably not till next year or something like that um, I think one of my major issues with AirPods was really volume control, right. where you can't really do anything. You need to use Siri to control it, or if you have a Apple Watch, you can control it. But it would be really nice if you can do that just simply off the device itself. Um, and if it comes in a black version, that would actually yeah. be pretty <laughs> awesome, given that you know they usually have a couple of colors, but right. given that they've only stuck, stuck to the white color, it's interesting they haven't come out with other colors would you want them to come out with like a full selection of like matching colors to like the iphone that'd actually be awesome if they can do that um i don't think that really adds too much cost for them right, right. why Why can't they just make it like yeah that? yeah exactly it, it, it would i think affect there are those third parties who can colorize ipods yep. and I, uh, um and so it it would be not iPods, AirPods. AirPods, right. Yeah, so they could colorize the AirPods in order to make it, you know, match the iPhones. But I think it would be interesting if Apple actually did that, to have a matching color to, to go along with, with your iPhones. Yep, and I, I think the other thing that obviously they've given up on is the, I guess, triple charging pad, right? Yeah, um, yeah. They, they kind of gave up yeah. on that. But I think there are other companies looking to do that, if not already. Right. But I think... I would like to see Apple go back to that again. Um, you know, it's always something about having the native, um, natively built device coming from the company that's built everything right, right. Um, to do that. So it would be nice if maybe, hey, they throw a shocker. Hey, we figured it out. We've done it. Um, so that would be nice. But I think, I think outside of that, I, I'm not looking for too much more coming out of the rest of this year from Apple. Yeah, I think the other thing that I'm interested in based on rumors, is this 16-inch MacBook Pro that could be coming out. And I would only be interested, really interested, in wanting to get it if it had a similar form factor to the 15.4-inch MacBook Pros that are out now. So similar form factor, similar price point, but the additional screen real estate and probably like the latest chips and just 
you know, everything. And, and also I think the, the keyboard, because that, that was the thing. And we didn't touch on this, the butterfly keyboard that everyone's complaining about because they stick and they don't work well and whatnot. I personally haven't had any problems with the butterfly keyboard on a 12 inch MacBook, which they of course don't, they no longer make, but how, what's your experience with the, the butterfly keyboard? Have you had any problems with it? I've not. Um, I think it's been good so far. I haven't run into any issues. I haven't had any typing issues or mishaps or anything right. like that. So it's been working pretty consistently for me. Um, I don't know if people who've had those issues, maybe they've poured something by accident on the keyboard or something. I don't know what that might be. Right. But so far, it's all right. Do you find that, because one of the things with the butterfly keys was that just the, kind of that striking distance when you tap on a key versus a traditional keyboard, that it doesn't go as far down. Was that something that you had to really adjust to? I think initially when I started using it, I thought it might take me some time before I got used to it. But I'd say within a week, if even, I got used to it and just started typing away. I think initially I started typing a bit slower than I would normally right. type. But then I just started, you know, crunching away like I normally do and haven't really thought about it again until you just brought it up right now. <laughs> so that's actually pretty interesting. You mentioned that. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that being a challenge at the beginning. But I guess it wasn't really a challenge to me at the end of the day. It wasn't really a learning curve. It just sort of came natural. Okay. So do you have any final thoughts in terms of if someone wanted to, if they're on a Windows machine now and they decided to, let me let me make that switch to Apple macbooks or or imacs or any of that do you have any advice for them as to what they should keep in mind going into doing it for whatever reason they decide to make that switch i think it's really keep an open mind right um don't close your mind off oh no i, I can't do this i can't do that but i think at the end of the day it really depends on what you need it for again right um i think one of the other driving factors that i mentioned before was for work we've started using macs and it's good to know that right obviously you want to start learning something new, and given that I've been using Windows all of my life, I, I know it back and front, right? I mean, relatively, I might know not, not know every last little thing, but I know most of it. And jumping to the Mac, it creates a new challenge, and it also can show, well, how much of Mac really is different from Windows when you look at it from the back end, right. when you look at configuration, can you figure all this stuff out? And you'd be surprised how much you can actually just figure out. I mean, if you've done Windows all these years, you get, it's a GUI, right? And you go from one GUI to another GUI, you look at one setting to another setting. Um, at the end of the day, it is almost like for like, um, you know, if, if you've really been using it, not just like for surfing the web, right. but for other things. And you're just knowing the ins and out of an operating system. I think you can take what you know from there to another one. So I think for those that just want to, hey, just learn something new, experience it. But just remember, hey, you still have the virtualization and that works just as well as having a physical device. Um, you should just make the jump and you know, see how that goes. Okay, great. So thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you, Ronald. And we will talk to you next time. Thank you, David. Everybody.